looking at the Christmas series, Fear Not. God is with us. We're going to be looking at the story of Mary today. We'll be reading Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, grab a pew Bible in front of you, and it is on page 587. So we'll be reading about uh, the story of Mary, the angel appearing to her, and announcing some great news. So follow along as I read Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for the Christmas story. We thank you for sending your son to be born a humble birth, but to live a perfect life and to die and be a sacrifice for sin. And just help us to to draw near to you in the holiday season and to remember the birth of your son and to have it make an impact in our lives on a daily basis. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we are continuing in our Christmas series here during the month of December, a series in which we're calling Fear Not. And in this series, we're looking at four different times in which the angel appears to different people throughout the Christmas story. And of course, we are discovering that each time the angel appears to these people, the angel's very first words is always, fear not, or do not be afraid, depending on the Bible translation that you have with you. In fact, speaking of fear, how many of you have a fear of snakes? Raise your hand. Anybody like me? Fear of snakes? Sure. Two years ago, the Discovery Channel aired a special called Eaten Alive about a guy who zipped himself up in a snake-proof suit so he could be swallowed alive by a 20-foot anaconda. Of course, the viewers were livid after the man fell to get eaten alive. Upset. It didn't happen. And although anacondas of this size can easily eat large animals, Ant mammals like jaguars, deer, and pigs. So, so swallowing a human shouldn't have been a problem. I'm wondering to myself, who does this? Who's crazy enough to do something like this? Well, believe it or not, wildlife expert Paul Rosali, that's who, uh, who has been described as a cross between the late Steve Irwin and Bear Grylls with a pinch of Johnny Knoxville thrown in. Now, My mom's greatest fear is snakes. In fact, I have a picture that's coming up on the screen here. I thought she was going to be the first person in history to die 
by literally freaking out when my nephew Zach had to rush over to my mom's house and kill this snake for her. And uh, anyways, my mom has a great terrifying fear of snakes. So if you ever want to scare my mom, you now know how. So, so I ask you, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What fears are holding you back? What fears are sabotaging your joy? Whatever it may be, God reassures us, fear not. In fact, throughout the Christmas story, fear not, as we are discovering, it really is. It's God's loving invitation to trust Him. And last Sunday, we learned from Zacharias that God wants us to trust Him in spite of our circumstances. Now this morning, our focus is going to laser in on Mary. And we're going to look at Mary's encounter with the same angel that encountered Zacharias, the angel Gabriel. And here's what we're going to learn. Notice this in your notes coming up on the screen. Mary shows us how to trust God when he interrupts your life and changes your plans. Now let's admit the obvious here. Life doesn't always play out the way we want, does it? We look to the Christmas season to be a time of peace on earth and joy to the world, a time without interruption, a time without turmoil. But the first Christmas was, was not that way. In fact, it was a major, major interruption, to say the least. Now, the fact of the matter is, most of our interruptions that we deal with in life are, are rather minor, such as a, a kid getting sick at school, and you get the phone call from the nurse at work, and you've got to go pick up the kid, and that's an interruption. Or maybe we may define a minor interruption as when your cable goes out during the Chiefs game last Thursday night. You know, that's an interruption. But sometimes God interrupts, and it's major. And we shouldn't be surprised by this, because our God is a God of interruptions. In fact, this word interrupt, it, it comes from two Latin words that, that actually means to break in, and that is what God likes to do. He likes to break into our lives and change our plans. We often put our security in neatly planned and tightly wrapped hopes and dreams. But what do you do when God breaks in and He changes those plans? Those dreams you had planned about. Those hopes you were expecting. And all of a sudden, God breaks in, He interrupts your life, and He changes it all. Well, what we're going to see is that what we often call interruptions, God sees as invitations to trust Him. Those times that we feel like God is interrupting me, He's actually inviting us to trust Him for something better, something greater for His glory and other people's good. God's interruption in Mary's life here, in this passage of Scripture in Luke 1. It revolves around a setting, it revolves around her surprise and her surrender, and that's how I want us to unfold the story this morning. Look at it with me if you want to follow along in your notes. Mary's setting, a young virgin girl dreaming of her wedding. What we find here is a young virgin girl who's dreaming of her wedding. In fact, we discover Mary's family setting in the first two verses of our text. Look at it with me one more time. Verses 26 and 27, it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. 
and the virgin's name was Mary. The greatest news to ever hit planet Earth was delivered to the most unlikely person, a young virgin girl who's dreaming of her wedding day. Mary was young. In fact, some Bible scholars estimate she possibly could have been as young as, as 12 or 13 years of old, perhaps even in the range of, of 14, 15, 16 years of age. And like people in, in many people in Israel in that day and time, she was poor, she was uneducated, and she's living in the small country town of Nazareth. And as people said in those days, can anything good ever come out of Nazareth? And Mary was also a female. She's a female in a culture that discounted women. From a merely human perspective, she is rather insignificant. In fact, one writer says we, she would marry humbly. She would give birth to numerous poor children, never travel further than a few miles from her home, and one day die like thousands of others before her. She was simply a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. In fact, the only bright spot in her life is that she is betrothed to Joseph, which means she has formally agreed to marry Joseph, but the wedding has not yet taken place. And so she's dreaming about this day that's coming, this anticipation, the biggest day of her life. And until then, Joseph and Mary were considered married they're even called husband and wife, but they did not live together, nor did they consummate their marriage physically. In fact, it's interesting, Luke, in verse 27, he even emphasizes this fact for us twice, saying that Mary was a virgin, leaving no room for doubt on this issue. And so this is the setting in which God interrupts Mary's life. She's a young virgin girl dreaming of the most important day of her life. And it's right at this point that God breaks in, which brings us to Mary's surprise. Notice this, number two. And basically, the surprise from the angel Gabriel is this, congratulations, you're going to have a baby. Mary was given the greatest honor that any woman has ever been given. She was chosen in God's providential plan to be the mother of his son, Jesus. Except this wasn't in her plans. Notice Gabriel's greeting in verse 28. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now that word that the angel used for favor here comes from the Greek word for grace, which simply means to be treated with undeserved kindness. Now the angel's greeting here has often been misunderstood throughout the years. Gabriel was not worshiping Mary, nor did she say that she was full of grace. In fact, these ideas uh, come from a prayer commonly used by Roman Catholics. The problem is that it treats Mary as the source of grace rather than the object of grace. The Bible never says that Mary was without sin. The Bible never says that she remained this perpetual virgin or that she's even able to give grace to sinners. But at the same time, she alone is called to be the mother of of Jesus, to give birth to the Son of God. And so therefore, it is appropriate to call her blessed. In fact, later on, through, through divine inspiration, Mary herself would write that she is blessed. And indeed, she is. 
As you might imagine, though, Mary did not know what to make of Gabriel's greeting here. What Gabriel said was meant to be reassuring, but, but it surely spooked her. Luke tells us in verse 29 and 30, but when she saw him, that is the angel, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now why was Mary so troubled here? So fearful? Well, the obvious answer is she just saw an angel. That's why. And angels in the Bible don't appear as precious moments ornaments. No, angels appear, often appear, as these majestic warriors whose first words are always, fear not. And I'm sure the sight of an angel was rather overwhelming to this young girl. But like Luke specifically says, it's interesting that she was not so much troubled by the angel or the appearance of the angel, but she was troubled by what the angel said to her. She's trying to figure out what's happening. Why is an angel talking to me? Who am I? What does this mean that I'm highly favored? But that's not the half of it. Gabriel proceeds to tell her something that absolutely blows her mind, just as it would blow ours. He says, congratulations, you're going to have a baby. And not just any baby, but the Son of God. In fact, look at the words the angel uses in verses 31 and 33. It says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now let's just stop here for a moment, and let's ask a question. Why, why is it that we are often resistant to God's interruptions? And why is it that we are often fearful of God's plans for our lives? Well, I think there are several answers to this, but let me draw out for us this morning two answers to this question. And the first is this. One, God's interruptions are often inconvenient. I think that's one reason why we are often resistant to God interrupting our life. It's because when he does, we see it as inconvenient to our lives. Remember, Mary is betrothed, or it would be like a, a formal engagement in our modern times, to be married to Joseph, and so she is dreaming of this wedding day, of this big event in her life. And like any engaged bride, she can hardly think of anything else. She's getting ready for the biggest day of her life. And, you know, and if it was today, I can only imagine that she's thinking about the guest list and the decorations and the flowers, the food, the music, and the dress. Oh, the dress. Brings me back 25 years ago when my wife and I were engaged. The dress. Oh, my. I about fell over when I found out the cost of the dress. I'm sure today, if Mary was here, she'd be searching on Pinterest for that creative idea to make her wedding day that special, unforgettable moment. I mean, this is the most exciting time of her life, and suddenly this angel intervenes. This angel interrupts all of her plans at the most inconvenient time. So, so what can we learn from this? Well, I think what we often call interruptions, God often sees as invitations to something greater. 
to something better. Now, don't mistake that for something easier, though. That is certainly not the case. But something greater for God's glory and oftentimes for other people's good. Remember what God did with Moses? He interrupted his life as a shepherd, and he invited him to be the deliverer of his people. Was it easier for Moses? No way. Life as a shepherd was much easier than going to Pharaoh and leading his people out of Egypt. But it was something greater for God's glory and for other people's good. What about Jonah? God interrupted his life and invited him to preach repentance to the people of Nineveh. Was it easier? Certainly not. In fact, Jonah ran from it. He resisted at first, and so he spent three nights in the belly of a fish, and then he finally surrendered to God's plan for his life. And I wonder how many of us, often we shake off God's interruptions, his, rather his invitations, because we call them interruptions, when God is calling us to something greater for his glory. And I don't know how all of this plays out in your life, or how it will play out for your life. But if you'll be open to God's interruptions as perhaps his invitations, God might do something special in your life for his glory and for other people's good. But it means that we need to see his interruptions as his invitations to trust him. Why are we so resistant to God's interruptions? Because God's interruptions we often see as inconvenient. Why are we afraid of God's plans? Well, because God's purpose is often different than our plans. God's purpose for us is often so different than what we have planned for our own lives. This was certainly true for Mary. Again, think about it. I mean, there must have been this moment where Mary is, is blown away with humility Oh my, I've just been chosen to be the mother of God's son. And then her emotions swing the other way. Oh my, what are people going to say about me? Because in those days, to be pregnant out of wedlock was a sin that was punishable by death from stoning. I can just imagine her thoughts. What is Joseph going to think about me? You can imagine the conversation. Hey, Joey, are you sitting down? I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. God's purpose for Mary was so different than her own plans. And as a result, her life was about to change forever. Yes, she will be married, but not before rumors spread throughout the countryside. Yes, there will be a wedding, but not the way she had planned and expected and hoped. She will have a home filled with children, but over the family will rest a dark cloud of suspicion. It will all happen, yes, but not the way she dreamed it would. But according to God's purpose for God's glory. What a life-changing announcement the angel gives to Mary. And not just for her life, but do you realize for all of humanity, she's going to give birth to the God's Son, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world who will die for the sins of humanity. As Mary thought about God's plans for her life, she has only one question for Gabriel in verse 34. Notice her question here. It says, how can this be? How can this be, Gabriel, since I do not know a man? In other words, she's asking, how can this be since I'm still a virgin? 
I've never had sexual relations with a man, let alone Joseph. Mary's question, make no mistake about it, it's not a question of unbelief, though. Rather, it's a question of understanding. You see, Mary believed what the angel said. Her only question was biological in nature. She's asking, hey, I'm still a virgin, and last time I checked, virgins don't have babies, so how can this be? This is impossible. And you may be wondering, well, man, just this sounds like the same question that got Zacharias in trouble. I mean, just last Sunday, we looked at his question to the angel. In fact, his doubt put him in time out for nine months. Well, when Zacharias received the promise of a son, he asked, how can I know this? In other words, he didn't believe the angel, so he asked for proof. He asked for some kind of sign. But Mary asked a completely different question, how can this be? In other words, she wanted to know how it would happen. Unlike Zacharias, Mary believed what the angel was telling her, what the angel said would happen. She just wanted to know how it would happen because it was physically impossible for it to happen. It was a good question. It was an honest question. And God gave her an answer in his graciousness, as well as a sign to confirm the promise. Notice in verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And then the angel gives her this sign. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month of her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. This is one of the greatest verses in all the Bible. Gabriel's answer is summarized in this one truth here. Nothing is impossible with God. That's basically his answer. It was probably not the answer that... Mary was looking for, but it was the answer that God gave her, and it was sufficient for Mary. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the message of the virgin birth. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. The virgin birth boldly declares that there is no limitations with God. Impossible is not in his vocabulary. But the virgin birth is also, it's one of the essential facts one of the great mysteries of the Christian faith, which means to deny this is to deny the faith. Only the virgin birth preserves the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ. His conception by the Spirit points to his deity, and his birth from a woman points to his humanity. And you ask, how can this be? Well, because nothing is impossible with God, that's how. And if God, listen to me, if God could perform the miracle of the virgin birth, then don't you think he is more than capable of handling the difficulties in your life? Two of the most powerful words. Two of the most hope-filled words in all of God's word is right here. With God. With God. There will be a time when God is going to intervene, interrupt, if you will, with an invitation to trust Him for something greater for His glory. And God's purpose 
is going to be way different than your plans. And you're going to look at it, and you're going to think to yourself, God, I don't see how this is possible. And that's when we have to remember that with God, nothing is impossible. Folks, that's as true today as it was 2,000 years ago for Mary. And it's also true that somebody has to say yes, or else the impossible will never happen. Which brings us to Mary's surrender. Notice this. Look at her surrender here in your notes coming up on the screen. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Mary's response is rather amazing. In fact, it's incredible. Especially when you consider her circumstances. And yet, the first thing she says in verse 38 is, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Before she says anything else, she reminds herself who she is and whose she is. She's saying, I belong to the Lord. I am called to serve Him. And even though I don't understand all that is happening, and it will certainly cost me, and it's probably going to be harder than I can ever imagine, I belong to the Lord. And because I belong to the Lord, I can trust Him with the outcome, and I will be obedient. And then Mary says one of the greatest faith-filled statements in all the Bible. Let it be according to your word. In other words, she's saying, I have no fear about God's plans for my life because I'm the Lord's servant. I know my God and His plans are good and He is just and He is loving. And if He interrupts me with something that's inconvenient for me, then I want to surrender myself with whatever He wants. Because His ways are higher than my ways. His purposes are greater than my plans. Therefore, let it be to me according to to your word. Mary said yes to God when she could have just as easily said thanks but no thanks. Count this girl out. I got a wedding to plan for. I got my life ahead of me. I got my own plans. Count me out. I'm not making any alterations here. But no, Mary surrendered herself. She trusted God in the midst of her fears. It's rare to find someone who's willing to trust God for the impossible and then to obey Him without hesitation or even qualification. All of this leads one author to wonder how Mary did it. He marvels that an ordinary human girl of flesh and blood believed that God could perform the impossible miracle of the virgin birth and went on believing it and bore the honor and burden without losing faith and nerve and proper humility and sanity itself. So how did Mary do this? Listen, the answer is that Mary did it by faith. She did it by faith just as all those Believers and followers of Christ in Hebrews chapter 11 did it. Just as every one of them followed the Lord and obeyed, they did it by faith. Did they do it perfectly? No. Mary was not sinless. And yet she surrendered herself. She simply trusted God for all of it. Lord, this is what you have for my life, and here I am. Take my life. I surrender it to you. 
So what do we take away from this? How can we begin to apply this? How can we leave here this morning and take what Mary did and apply it to our lives? Let me leave you with two points here. Number one, trusting God in the midst of our fears. First of all, embrace the favor of God in Jesus Christ. Embrace the favor of God in Jesus Christ. The angel told Mary, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Now this is important not only for Mary, but also for us here today. What is the favor of God? Well, some people might think it's getting a good parking space on Black Friday. Or it's the house that you've always wanted going into foreclosure and buying it at a great price. Or when you smile, your teeth gleam. Is that how you think about God's favor, God's grace? Think about the situation again that Mary finds herself in. She's just been told that she's going to be pregnant with no husband in a culture where this is not only frowned upon, but punishable by death. The man she loves, Joseph, is probably not going to understand the situation and will probably leave her. She's already poor, and if Joseph rejects her, she will be destitute. And yet, Mary rejoices in the favor of God. The grace of God. Why? Because a son is being born to her. A son, the angel says, whose name will be called who? Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. And so think about this with me. If Mary's main problem was not finances, if her main problem is not a bad reputation going forward, but rather a severed relationship with God because of her sin, well, isn't that what Jesus came for? Jesus came to restore and to reconcile our broken relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, who will die on the cross in order to save us from our sins so that we can be restored to God the Father, that we can be reconciled to Him. That is grace, folks. And that grace, that favor is found in none other than the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. And the question becomes, have you embraced Him? Have you embraced the grace of God that is only found in His Son, Jesus Christ? You say, how do I do that? By faith. You put your faith and trust in Him. You understand, you know what? I am a sinner and I have a broken relationship with God. And if that does not change, my destiny in my life is destitute. I am hopeless. But God, in His grace, has intervened. He's intervened with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Savior who died on the cross for our sins in our place so that we now could be reconciled to God and be given the gift of life, eternal life, to be forgiven of our sins. Have you embraced the favor of God in Jesus Christ? But there's a second thing this leads us to. Because once we embrace God's Son, number two, surrender everything to God because of Jesus Christ. The angel, even though he brought really good news, make no mistake about it, he demanded full surrender of Mary. For example, 
he tells Mary, you will call his name what? Jesus. But usually, last time I checked, parents get to name their own children, right? But the angel said, not this one. God calls the shots with this child. And in the same way, if you're going to have the blessing of Jesus in your life, then we've got to fully surrender and let God call the shots even in our dreams and plans. Just like Mary, we must be willing to say, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Listen, you can only be in one of two positions when it comes to Jesus Christ. You're either in rebellion or you are in submission. Are you willing to say what Mary said? Then surrender everything to God. Give up control of your life, putting your plans into His hands rather than bending them to your own purposes. And do this even if you don't fully understand everything that God is asking you to believe or to do. Which leads me to a question I want us to ponder. And that question is this. What is God asking you to believe? What is God asking you to do? For some of you, the answer is immediate. You know it. Because God's been asking you to do or believe this for many days, many weeks, many months, and perhaps years. The problem is you've been resisting. You've been resisting believing or doing what God is asking. You have yet to surrender your life to Him like Mary did. For others of you, it may take a few minutes, minutes, moments, pondering this question and even praying for a few days and weeks and asking the Lord, Lord, what is it do you have for me next? What is it you want me to believe here? What is it you're calling me to do in this season of my life? What are you directing me to do? What are you challenging me to believe at this moment? And then when you get ready to respond, never forget this, especially if God is asking you to take that next step of faith. Remember, outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is yours. Outcome is always and only God's responsibility. Obedience is always and only yours. And so when you start to ask, What's going to happen? How are we going to blank? What about this? Remember, that's outcome. That's in God's corner. That's His responsibility. All that we are called to do is to take the next step of faith and what? Obey. And so when God interrupts your life and He changes your plans, remember, that's an invitation to trust Him for something greater, for something better, for His glory and for other people's good. And ultimately, the outcome of it all is God's responsibility and obedience is yours. Let's pray. I know there are many here who have already put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. That is, your relationship with God has been restored through your faith in Jesus Christ. But perhaps there are some who have yet to cross the line from unbelief to belief. And 
Now God is asking you, he's inviting you to believe in his son Jesus Christ for your salvation. This is why Jesus was born and died on the cross and rose again. So that anyone who calls on his name would be saved and forgiven of their sins and may receive the gift of eternal life. Boy, if that's your heart's desire, if that's your heart's cry here this morning, then I invite you to pray something like this. Heavenly Father, today I trust you to be my Savior and Lord. Forgive me of my sins, cleanse my heart, and make me brand new. I surrender my life completely to you. I want to be your servant. I want you to be my Lord. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life in Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen. The praise team's going to sing, and as they do, this is your opportunity to respond to the Lord right where you're sitting, to respond to Him in prayer. And for those of you who are believers, perhaps you need to respond in, in full surrender of your life, your plans, your dreams to Him. And if you have yet to do that, yet to believe in Jesus Christ for your salvation, God is inviting you to cry out to Him for salvation in Christ. Will you respond as the praise team sings?